he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. The birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said these things, as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when the disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but this is the word of God, and it will stand forever. Would you pray with me? God, as we consider this passage, Jesus, these are your very words. I pray that you would cause them to come alive in our own hearts even tonight. God, we're coming in here from so many different directions. So many different places people are coming from tonight. Some are already very lonely. A few days in. And it's so troubling them. Some are so excited about this semester they don't know what to do. Some are finishing out this year. Some are brand new. Others are hurting. God, we live in a broken world. We live in broken bodies and in hard relationships. We live in a world where there's much hatred. As we saw in many experienced just a few weeks ago, the hatred in Virginia. Another sign of brokenness in this world. Even this weekend, we're all watching the news and seeing the brokenness of the world in form of a hurricane and flooding. That's the reality that we live in. I pray that you would speak your words into that very reality. Where all of us are coming from, you know it so much better than I ever could, and better even than we know ourselves. So speak to us, we ask, from your word even tonight. I pray, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together would be pleasing in your sight. The Lord, our rock and redeemer, we ask in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. I'll have grounds more relative than this. The play's the thing. Wherein I'll catch the conscience of the king. Does anyone know what it's from? It's from Hamlet. Shakespeare's Hamlet, of course. I'm from South Alabama. We study a lot of Shakespeare in South Alabama. I don't know if you know that. We call him old Billy Shakespeare. That, this was the play's the thing. I love that line. It comes from Hamlet, wherein he's putting on the play within the play in order to hopefully catch who killed his father. The story within the story. Shakespeare was known for doing this. Shakespeare, of course, wrote poems and and stories that would be acted out on stages. There were lines written and characters who lived out those lines, and there there were plots, and there was a point Shakespeare was a storyteller, and sometimes he told stories of people telling stories, the story within the story, the play within the play. This semester, 
we're studying stories within the story. We're studying various plays within the play. Stories Jesus told, which he called parables. In each one, there's a setting, and there's a characters, there's a plot, and typically there's a point. For instance, tonight's parable, the setting is a farm, and the characters, there's a sower. And the point, the point's actually given in the passage, which we'll get to. Here's why I want us to begin the semester with this story. Because in it, Jesus tells us how parables work and why they matter. Why they matter for your story. You know, we're all living our own stories, of course. We love, and we love stories. We love good stories. I, I love good storytellers. It's why you read the books that you read, if you're into that kind of antiquated activity. It's why you watch the movies you watch. Or you binge watch the shows on Netflix that you binge watch. It's why so many of you gather together in dorms or in your apartment Saturday night up until 12.45, 1 a.m. to watch The Fight, another storyline, right? We love the stories. We're so interested. We're changed by stories. We're affected by them. We are currently living in our own stories. The setting for your story is Clemson University. This is it. This is the setting for the story that's being written this semester. The characters who've entered into your story are some of those who are sitting beside you right now. It's your friends. It's your classmates and your roommates. So what's the point of your story? Again, I think parables will help make that clear for you, even as we consider them over the course of the semester. Because the story is so much bigger than you realize because the author has a huge purpose for the play that you're living in, even now. And so let's kind of start with this one. I want to just jump right in this parable. My outline's really simple. I'm just kind of working through the three components of this story. Jesus talks about the seed. He talks about the soils. There's four of them. And he talks about, very briefly, the sower. So first, the seed. A farmer went out to sow his seed, Jesus says. So let's talk about seeds. They're often very unnoticeable, small but what's interesting is that within a given seed is everything that is needed to produce something, right? Everything that is needed to produce something powerful is contained within something that appears so small and maybe insignificant. But in time with the right elements, sunlight, rain, miracle growth, magic, things grow. A seed can produce something amazing. You've probably heard the illustration at some point of, of you know, a, a, a seed, an acorn, maybe falling into a crack in a, in a marble stone. And how in time that acorn then begins to bud and produce a tree and eventually it splits the marble. A seed is stronger than marble. A seed is stronger than concrete. Why? Because it's what's within the seed. It's what's within it that matters. The tremendous power contained within. In in the end, the seed is more powerful. Jesus gives us the point here. What is the seed he's referring to? He says in verse 11, the seed is the word of God. So in Jesus' parable, the message of the kingdom of God is the thing that contains that which is so powerful it can change everything. The gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, his words, scripture, What Jesus is saying is that within the gospel story is the power that is needed to produce something amazing in the world. It may appear to be small or insignificant to you at times. Maybe even unnoticed, but within the story is the power to change the landscape of our lives forever. And let me just say, because I I, I do want you to know what you've come to tonight, and I'm really glad you're here. But I want you to know this. We believe in, in RUF, and I believe as the campus minister, that the Bible is true. 
I believe it's the true words of God. It's the inspired word of the living God. It's without error, and I think it is extremely applicable to our lives today. And I hope to show you that week in and week out. Now, I'm aware that not all of you are coming from that position. I would be silly as a campus minister to think in a room this size on a campus this big that some of you are not coming in very skeptical of what I just said. You have a different view of the Bible. You have a different relationship with Christianity. Perhaps you've been very hurt or very frustrated or you just don't understand how it all kind of works out. I I just want you to hear me say I'm really glad that you're here. I think we can work through some of those things together. There's a place for you no matter where you're coming from, where you are. In your own kind of story of faith, we welcome you this semester and and we will interact over these topics. You may have doubts or fears that no one even knows about or experiences that have caused all sorts of things to creep into your own mind. Maybe you've been in church your whole life and now you're asking these questions. I get that. And so hopefully we will apply God's word to your life and to exactly where you are as we consider these short stories over the course of the semester. So back to the seed in this story. I heard one pastor note that there are two ways that you can change landscape for a long time, the landscape of a field. And one is much faster, and it's more noticeable in its construction. You know, it's, it's, it's a boulder rolling across the field in the old times, or it's tractors and backhoes knocking down everything. We see this even on the campus, right, over across 93. What's it called? Doth it? Doth it? Doth it? Donut, donut Hills. Are they going to have good donuts? I hope so. Donut Hills. You probably saw the landscape of that place change over the last couple of years, right? Very quickly, very noticeably. That's the quick way to do it. But there's a, a, a much more, I don't know, not quick, much slower way to change the landscape of a field. But it's so much more lasting and it's so much bigger. What is it? You plant seeds. And over the course of time, those seeds become trees, and that changes the landscape of a place forever. Seeds are more powerful than boulders and tractors. That's the gospel. That's the message that Jesus preaches. But in order for a seed to begin producing effective fruit, it has to fall into the right kinds of soils, right? The right kind of soil. And so Jesus kind of starts going through these four different types of soil. And so let me, let me just say as we go through these four types real quick. I think it's actually very helpful and wise of you to be introspective during these next few minutes. Like, find yourself in this passage. It's going to help you in the long run. So as we go through, kind of click through and figure out which one fits you most where you are right now. So first, there's the hard soil. Verse 5. As he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. So farmers in Jesus' day would have sown certain seeds by kind of like, broadly casting them out. Some would kind of land on top of the the walkways where people would normally go and they would just kind of stay on top of the walkways and birds would eat the seed or like squirrels or woodchucks or whatever. Got a lot of woodchucks, South Carolina. Got a problem. We got to address that. That's a side note. Stay on track. (laughs) Seeds on top, they fall in the hard soil. They can't go down. They can't take root. Jesus interprets this to be the person who is very unresponsive to the gospel. Their heart is hard. Let me offer two caveats here. The first is that notice that this is referring to not people who haven't heard the word, but to those who have. I think that's really interesting as you consider this parable that Jesus is talking about people who have been around church, essentially. (coughs) People who've heard the message. He's not talking about those out there in that one place that hasn't heard 
the gospel. He's talking about those who have. The second caveat is notice that these, soul, these soils are not the final state, necessarily. I think there are people who are, for a time, the hard soil. Hearing the word, but it never settles. But maybe one day the concrete road is plowed and some fresh dirt is planted and one day the seed takes root. And that should be very comforting for you if you have friends that you have uh, tried to share the gospel with for a long time. Or family members that you have loved and cared for. People that you have tried to share Jesus with. You've invited them to church or to a Bible study. Maybe you've even brought them to RUF at some point and they seem to be unresponsive to the gospel. Here's why this is good news for you. Because God can work. Pray. Pray. That's the application for you. If you have friends that you would like to see move along in a sense. Pray that God would intervene against the enemy's schemes. The story of the hard path is not the final story. And it may not be the final state of the soil of your friend's heart either. But some of you have already found yourself. And you're like, yep, that's me. I'm, I'm the hard soil. In Jesus' parable, that, that would be me. I am not into this kind of thing. You found yourself. I, I want you to stick around just for a few more minutes. We're going to address each of these at the end. So second, Jesus talks about the rocky soil in verse 6. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Now, I think the college campus especially the college campus in the south, is full of the rocky soil. Like, full of the rocky soil. And I've been around college students for a long time, and I used to be one. And I think, and I've, and I've been on a lot of, a uh, few campuses, at least four in the south, where I've seen this. It's often those who have had really exciting youth group experiences. You know, you work that camp, you did that thing two summers ago where you were the leader in your youth group. You were so excited. You were, at one point, you used the phrase on fire for Jesus and you meant it. <coughs> you were on the mountaintop. And it's those students who come in kind of waving their spiritual resumes, hoping to make sure everyone notices how much they've done for Jesus at some point in their lives. Or how much they intend to do for Jesus in college. And if I'm honest, if I'm honest as a campus minister... I worry about the rocky soil the most. And I can speak to this so particularly because I very much was the rocky soil. My freshman year at Troy University, where I went a few years ago, a couple years ago, I graduated two years ago. Um, A few years ago, when I entered into Troy University, I'm embarrassed to think about, and and Kelly knew me back then, and don't ask her about these moments because it's, it's, it's... it's silly, but I remember think, I can think of what I was like as a, that incoming freshman and how much I longed for people to think always that I was the most spiritual person in the room. And that manifested itself in all sorts of different ways. It manifested itself, first of all, by me being involved in every campus ministry fully. Now, some of you are like, oh, crap, I went to one last night. He got me. No, I'm not saying, like, you need to go check out campus ministries. RUF is not the only game in town around here. There are great campus ministries. Check them out. Find the place that works for you. Do that. But don't, like, try to be fully involved in all of them because my issue is motivation. I went on Monday nights to the BCM. I went on Tuesday nights to campus outreach. I went on Wednesday nights to the Wesley Foundation because they had a really good dinner. I went on Thursday nights back to the BCM for their freshman study, and on Friday I would find a few other Christians in my fraternity. And what I would do in every single one of those settings is talk about how much I had done for Jesus over and over and over again. What I would lead with is what I did in high school, the mission trip that I took, 
the camp that I worked at, the thing that I attended, that I led these Bible studies in high school. Oh, yeah, Philippians, I, I kind of half wrote it. You know, you ever heard of See You at the Pole? I started that thing. Like, it was constantly coming up out of me. I just wanted people to think that I was the most spiritual person in the room. I wanted to be known that way. If I would have had Instagram back then, it would have been horrible. Like, I would have been that guy posting that picture of my Bible with that, like, Starbucks and that right filter and the angle and my journal just enough where you see that I've written something, but you can't read it. Like, it's faded just a little bit. Like, I would be that guy posting that every day, hashtag, look at me. That's, that would have been me in college. That was me in college, but without Instagram. There was very little room in my spiritual resume for what God had done for me. It was all about what I had done for God, and I led with it. Here's what Jesus says in verse 13. The ones who are on the rock are those who hear the word of God, and they receive it with joy. Sounds good, right? But then, since they have no root... They believe for a while, and when time of testing comes, they fall away. That's why I worry about the rocky soil. When it came down to it, there was no root. There was no root in my life. It was all kind of show and willpower and behavior modification and attention-seeking religious duty that kind of just kept me going and kept me going and kept me going. But it didn't last. It couldn't last. And when time of testing came, I would fall. Some of you may be there now, you may be wondering what you're supposed to do if if you're the rocky soil like I was. The answer is to not be less spiritual. It's also not to be more spiritual. So could you be the rocky soil? I'll come back to this in a second, but I I think it's healthy for you to ask that question. Especially if you're very involved in campus ministry, especially if you're involved in RUF. Is it just for show? Will it wither away in time? Here's the question. Why do you do the things that you do? Why do you say the things that you say, the info that you drop into each conversation? Why? What's the end game? What's your real motivation? Again, we'll come back to this in a second. Let me skip to the last two. I'm going to actually skip the third. We're going to the fourth, and we'll go back. The fourth is the good soil. The big finale, this is the Sunday school answer when the teacher says, so which soil do you want to be? You all say the good soil, and we say, very good. Let's close in prayer. It would be the worst sermon you've ever heard. But that's the right answer. Like, what soil do we want to be? We want to be the good soil because Jesus says that the good soil is the one that produces good fruit. It's the person who understands the gospel. They get it. They love the Lord. Their life shows it. The Spirit of God is at work in their life, and they look for opportunities to continue to grow in their love for God and other people. You see the fruit of the Spirit kind of working itself out in their life. They are full of love and joy and humility and grace and peace and patience and all those other things. Their lives produce this fruit. It's healthy and it's growing. And Jesus interprets this as those in the first 15, those who hearing the Word of God hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and they bear fruit with patience. Notice though, that's an important word, with patience. Notice that the good soil produces lasting fruit, but it isn't immediate fruit. The right kind of fruit takes time to be produced. If you've ever been into gardening on any level, you just know this to be true. You don't plant a crop and then kind of go and pick from it the next day. It takes time to produce fruit takes time. The same is true spiritually speaking. 
You may not exhibit a lot of patience right now. But if the soil of your heart is good, then God will work in that soil. And over time, you will actually see more patience produced in your life. The same is true for peace. You may be a very anxious person. But if the soil of your heart is good, God will work in that soil. And you may even see seasons where like, you're not as anxious. Or maybe joy. You may be very sad. You may be see times where that's not true. Or contentment or loneliness or whatever it is for you. But it's not an easy process. Like there's pruning involved. And it's slow. But I think that good soil is proven over time. And that's why in... Uh, as I think about where you guys are right now and what I want to see happen in your life, it is a long-haul thing. We're in it for the long haul in Christianity. You have to have the long game in mind. A friend of mine who's into gardening big time around here, um, he showed me his garden a, a few weeks ago. It's right off of Berkeley Drive. Like You're just driving by Berkeley, and there's this park, and there's these homes, and he's got this gigantic garden behind his house. I think it might be illegal. It's so big. He showed me his plants. He had these, these tomato plants that were taller than me. Okra, zucchini, squash, the whole thing. It was a beautiful garden. <coughs> a lot of good free food. And I was asking him, I was like, so has it been like, he, he started three years ago. And I said, so is it like this every year? Like you get this much produce every year? And he said, oh no, this is the first year. It took him three years. He said last year was terrible. The year before that was worse than that. It illustrates it, right? Jesus' point is spot on. Fruit takes time to be produced. My goal for you this semester is not, now go and be the good soil. If that's what you take away from tonight, then I've I've kind of blown it. One of the goals that I have for you is that you would get to know yourself. You would ask hard questions of yourself during these important years. Because college is the time where you get to know even the soils of your own heart. To be honest about this stuff. Because here's the thing, if we're honest, if we're honest, we all want to be the good soil... But if we're honest, verse 15 doesn't really describe us that often, but verse 14 does. Because for so many of us, we're getting tangled up and lost in the thorns. So let me go back for a second and consider the thorny soil and see if that might describe where you are. Verse 7, And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. A few years ago, uh, the first year we lived in our house in Alabama, we were in the backyard, and and we bought this house when it was only like five years old. So it was like one of these starter home communities. All the houses look the same type thing, and all the trees are shorter than me, you know, those communities. And I was in the backyard. We had a total of three trees. One was taller than me. Two were shorter than me. That's all you need to know. In the back left corner of our yard was this one tree, and it was... It was a struggling little tree. I was pulling for it. The other were like really starting to kind of produce their leaves and they were decent and they were kind of pretty and provided a shade for about a second. But this one tree was just struggling. It was back there and like the leaves never like actually came back in the spring. It just kind of looked like a winter tree. I don't know if that's a thing. And one day I was back there and I was just kind of like looking at it. I think I even was like doing this, like just walking around. It's about this tall. I was just looking at it. And my neighbor, Mike, who knows everything, <laughs> he, was on his balcony, he was on his back deck. He's from, he's from Pittsburgh, and he's just kind of very blunt. He was like, hey, Reed, you looking at your tree? It's dead. <laughs> and I'll, that was, that literally, like, I didn't know that. 
I, I said, is that what's going on? And so I start digging it up. I get out my, um, what do you call those things? Shovels. Because I'm a man. And, and I, start, I start like digging into this, like right around the tree. And I kind of work my way around it. And I think, okay, if I can just get around the root system, then maybe I can actually pull this thing up. And so I, I dig out just a little bit around it. And so I kind of get a stance on this tree. I'm so glad no one saw this. I'm really glad Mike went back in his house at this point. Because I, I kind of like get my grip, back safe bend, and I'm ready to go. And I yank it out like in the count of three, mental count of three. And, it's like, and I pull as hard as I can. Y'all, that tree came out of that ground so fast. I almost did a backflip with it in my hand. Because what was on the tree, this was amazing. I took a picture of it. I did have Instagram back then, and I put it on there. Because on the bottom of the tree... It looked like a ball of snakes. It was frightening. It really looked like a giant ball of snakes. Because what had happened is when they planted that tree, these builders, Adam's homes, they didn't, they didn't dig out the ground around the tree. They just kind of planted it in there. And so the roots never had any room to grow. Instead, they turned in on themselves and the tree literally choked itself to death. It was like a ball of nooses. Niece. <laughs> Plural form of. Here's what I learned though. I've thought about that tree a lot. I really have. The roots had wrapped themselves around it and choked itself to death. And I thought, that is exactly what is going on in my heart all the time. Like the root systems of my life. And this is what Jesus is describing here. The thorns and the thistles and the things just below the surface are choking out the life in me. And it's killing me. And Jesus gives categories for this. He talks about the, uh, the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life in verse 14 are the things that choke out this seed. And so even though most of us will end by saying, okay, I'm going to go be the good soil for Jesus this semester, our lives look a lot more like the thorny soil, if we're honest. Choking out on the deceitfulness of wealth or fame or pleasure or reputation. The deceitfulness of the right relationship or the right internship. If I could just land it, I would be happy. The deceitfulness of the GPA or the false god of comfort, if I can just... The deceitfulness of success or giving all of our efforts to be thought so well of by that group of people. If they would just accept me, then I definitely would be there. All that's just choking us out over and over and over again. So the reason I think we're so unhappy in our lives or we are discontent or we are unsatisfied or it's the thing that's behind our jealousy or our envy or our fighting or our resentment or our anger or our apathy or laziness, the thing that's behind all of that is that we're trapped in the thorns. And they're choking the life out of us, the life that only Jesus himself can offer. The dangerous roots are wrapping themselves around us and there's no room for growth because the soil hasn't been broken up enough. So I don't, know, I don't know where you are. I don't know what thorns might be choking you. But I imagine some of you might be there. And so if you think your heart might be endangered of being the soil caught up in the thorns, what do you do about it? 
Here's what leads us to the main problem of this parable. And I'll just be honest. We would expect that at the end of this story, Jesus would go back and he would review them and tell you what to do. That he would go back and he would say, so if you're the hard soil, if you're the hard soil, all you need to do is break yourself up a little bit. Make room for the seed to go down deeper. Or if you're the rocky soil, then all you need to do is find a way to kind of remove those rocks out from underneath so that the seed can take root. If you're the thorny soil, then just hunker down. Like find those thorns and pull them out of the ground so the seed can grow. But Jesus doesn't end that way. We are left at the end of this parable begging for a to-do list because we're achievers. But Jesus leaves us at the end of this parable with not a to-do list. So the point of the parable can't be to go and be good soil because we don't know how. There has to be a better point, a deeper point. So what is it? Well, this is where Jesus' short stories begin to change everything. And where Jesus, the storyteller, stands in stark contrast to Shakespeare, other than you know being the son of God who's perfect in every way. But even as a storyteller, because listen, C.S. Lewis writes in one of his books that if Hamlet were to ever want to want to know his playwright, if Hamlet were to ever want to know Shakespeare, Shakespeare himself would have to take the initiative. Think about that. In other words, the only way Hamlet could ever know Shakespeare is if Shakespeare wrote himself into the story. What we need to see week in and week out this semester, if you stick with us as we go through these parables, is that inside the play within the play, the playwright is actually making himself known. The most amazing movement and turn of each of these stories is when you start to pull back the lens and you remember who's telling the story. And then you start to find him in it. The stories that Jesus tells are stories of God coming to earth to rescue men from their sins, from themselves. God himself coming in the form of man to save men, to redeem and to rescue and to heal and to give hope. The plot twist of the parable of the soils is to see that the point of the whole story is really about the sower. Because here's the thing, one of the things that I've come to understand in my little bit of dabbling with gardening is that the soil is what it is. It can't change itself. It can't make itself more productive. It can't heal itself. It can't till itself. It can't refresh itself or nourish itself. But it's what's within the soil, the seed, and it's what's outside of the soil, the environment, that changes everything. So we want a list, like four steps to be better soil, but Jesus doesn't give us one. Instead, he gives us something so much better. And here's the simple point. We're going to end here in a minute. What he gives us that's so much better than a to-do list is he gives us the powerful seed of his word to explode fruit into our lives. And he gives us a kind and caring sower who carefully comes along and works the garden just as he wants to. You and I have to know at the beginning of this fall semester, at the beginning of this year, that it is not our job to make ourselves better producers of fruit. Because remember, the power is not within the soil. Where's the power? It's within the word. It's not our job to transform the soils of our own hearts. That's what the gardener does. And another horticultural analogy, Jesus says, 
that I am the true vine. And my Father is the vine dresser, the gardener. Remain in me and I also will remain in you. He says no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. It is so both incredibly freeing and wonderfully humbling to know that it is not the soil's job to make itself fruit-bearing. But through the loving and careful work of the sower and with the power of the good seed, the Word of God, planted in the soil of His choosing, He will produce lasting fruit. In fact, there's only one thing the soil does. Do you know what it is? It receives The one thing the soil does is it receives. It receives the seed and it receives the work of the gardener. So are you receiving the seed, the gospel, the word of God in your life? Is God's word penetrating into the soil of your heart in your own collegiate career? Is God's word entering into that place and producing fruit that affects people's lives? Are you seeing Jesus at work in your own life? Do you, want, do you want to? I imagine some of you are here because that's exactly what you want. And this is kind of your first step to a new semester, a new year, that you want to see God work in you and through you this year. Here's what we need to do. We put ourselves in a position to receive His Word and His work. So, we end with this. Are you the hard soil? The application for you isn't to go break open the hardness. But it's instead to invite the sower to come and till the soils of your hardened heart. And maybe tonight's the first time some of you do that. And we would love for you to simply turn to the gardener and say, I would love for you to work in my life like this. If you're the rocky soil, the answer for you is to not just hunker down and get your act together and remove all those obstacles. Instead, it's to confess what Jesus just said earlier. Jesus, apart from you, I can do nothing. You're right. Now, would you work? Because I need you to. Or if you're the thorny soil, if you're choked out by so many things going on in your world, the answer is to not find the best gardening shears available to kind of start cutting it all out, behavior modification or whatever. We have an active role in this process, but we cannot separate it from the reality that it is God who works and who heals and who produces fruit. It is the sower who sows and prunes and who causes the growth. We have to look to him to do it. And so if you want this to be true of your life, let me just encourage you with this. To be planted in an environment where you will receive God's word. And that takes on lots of different shapes, but a couple of things that come to mind that are so obvious throughout his scriptures is you need to put yourself in position to receive God's scripture on a regular basis. It's the preaching of the word. It's like your own study but also to put yourself in a position of community where God's word is being regularly discussed. And I promise I'm not saying, so come to RUF. It may not be here, but find a place where you build a community with people who are going to work through this with you. We need each other because that's where God's word is so active and effective. I used to work with a pastor who would always say, speaking specifically of the local church where God promises to meet us in a specific way, he would always say, Um, trying to meet God 
outside of the local church is a lot like a hitchhiker trying to find a ride in the middle of the woods. Go where God promises to meet you, in his word, in his church, and in his community. If that's what you want to see happen in your life, you want to see real growth this year, even tonight, ask the sower to work. Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. The storyteller is speaking. Are you listening? Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you that you give us these stories where we get to know ourselves a little bit too. I pray that you, by your spirit, would help us to understand where we are in this passage and help us to see where you are. The one at work, in the garden, for your glory and for our good. I pray that you would do that in each of our lives this semester and all of these students. First years to last years and everyone in between. That you would work in a very particular way this fall. For your glory we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Don't be standing, sing one more song.